Welcome, everyone. This here is my first ever full-on podcast episode on educational topics, and I'm here today to talk about uh, inquiry-based learning and the integration of digital tools into that process. Um, so we're definitely going to talk about project-based, problem-based uh, learning, web quests. Um, but before we jump into that, I want to sort of reflect back on my years as a teacher. Um, I really never thought of myself as a project-based teacher. In fact, I was pretty active in celebrating how anti-project I really was. Um, I've never thought of myself as someone who's particularly creative. Um, and so I thought first that that probably limited my capacity to do creative things in the classroom. Um, I think I also thought of projects as decorative. And I thought a lot of time spent on creative decorations was time away from content. Um, and frankly, I think if I'm real honest, um, I knew, I know that my identity was kind of tied up in the kind of classroom that I had. Um, I was pretty good at weaving lecture and some dynamic discussion and really controlling the flow of the day. And I think I was addicted to that kind of classroom energy and it was pretty easy on my kids because I shouldered a lot of that responsibility. But the deeper I went into my career, I started to see the need to allow them to shoulder more of that burden. Um, it led me to prioritize some things like choice and differentiation and authentic assessment. Um, but it's really been a hard transition these last couple of years. There are lots of days that I feel like I'm not doing my job because the energy is so different uh, and the responsibility load is so different. Um, but I've, I've read something recently at the, the Bucket, uh, Buck Institute of Education um, that clicks with me and, and on why I still strive. Uh, to create this kind of setting um, on their website where they talk about project-based learning. Um, they frame it as not a dessert, but as the main course. And I think that this kind of realization is what has made the transition really fruitful for me, um, where I started to see that the project wasn't the decoration on the top of learning that was already done, but the project was the method to acquire the learning in the first place. And now in reading an article from the, the web, uh, WebQuest pioneer himself, Bernie Dodge, um, one he wrote for social education in 2003, um, it's likely that what I've been doing these last couple of years is not really WebQuests, um, but more uh, what he calls WIP, Web Inquiry Projects, um, the kind of thing that he defined as um, open inquiry learning activities that leverage the use of uninterpreted online data and information, uh, the sort of thing that he differentiates from web quests because they don't have as much structure as a web quest has. Um, but that structure of a web quest can certainly be a good thing. Um, and really the only reason to run from web quests at this point is that the word web quest itself is so overused and misused that it really carries a gross and kind of played out bit of baggage with it. Um, Tom March on his website makes a really great argument for web quests. Uh, he notes that it, it checks a lot of the boxes that are increasingly important to a lot of teachers, cognitive theory stuff, critical thinking, uh, you know, it's distinctively constructivist. It opens the door to a lot of different authentic assessments, um, permits a greater degree of differentiation and choice. It's got all the good edu buzzwords. Um, and March has another post on his site that gives a great way to think about some of the final outcomes with uh, PBL and WebQuest. And he says that he applies a really simple litmus test, two questions um, to WebQuest and, and says, first, can the answer that the students arrive at 
be simply copied and pasted? And if the answer there is yes, then you've got to scrap the ta- scrap the task and, and start over. Um, if it if it passes that first test, if it's not something that can be simply copied and pasted, then the follow up question is: Does the task require students to make something new out of what they've learned? Um, yeah, this idea of copy and paste has been a huge point of contention in my class of late. It's really been a line in the sand, uh, something that I really joke with students on. Oftentimes I see the work and I, say, I, I, I ask them if they even went beyond the Google search page or if they just copied and pasted what, what turned up there on the search result page. But I think this underscores larger problems with the task and the problem posed in my classroom or my web inquiry uh, projects um, as it kind of exposes the inauthenticity, inauthenticity of the work um, and the failure to connect the things that we're doing to the things that the students feel were important. If we really dig into the, the deeper, uh, technology side of this discussion, you know, a lot of the, the digital tech that I see used in classrooms and even the, the digital tech that I've used in my classrooms, uh, they kind of languish in those early stages of, of, um, substitution and augmentation, uh, really the best utilization of text that I've seen lies um, in the teachers that, that bring tools in so students can show different and creative ways uh, to express their learning. You know, the, the tools, the web 2.0 tools that allow for, you know, visual organizers and podcasts and sketch notes and videos and songs and drawings that teach. And, and even in some cases really well put together slide presentations with animations and things like that. But I think there's a lot of work to be done in the way that tech is integrated um, on the information gathering side of things. And I think I'll talk about this a little bit later on, but that's something where the big six comes in and, and is great in that capacity, walking us like through how the students can use tech to gather information. But what I'll say now is that, uh, again, citing Tom March here, he does a good job of noting how we need to tap in the the richness of, of web resources, sending students forth with questions that excite them and, and directing them to resources that inspire them and drive their curiosity. And I'm a big believer, I've become a big believer, and, and Stephanie Bell argues that in a 2010 publication that all the measurables are there, you know, that test scores go up when students are engaged in project-based, problem-based, inquiry-based classrooms. It just requires that teachers take a leap of faith and, and have some patience because it does, it forces teachers to let go a little or, or let go a lot. Um, so in, in that letting go process, you know, I think there's a lot of different things we can look at um, to think about how do we drive inquiry in our classrooms. So we can look at some of the different inquiry frameworks. There's the big six from Mike Eisenberg and Bob Berkowitz. There's the gold standard from uh, the Buck Institute. Um, I guess I'll start with uh, the big six, since I mentioned it earlier, is, is valuable in teaching students how to use tech for inquiry. I think the big six framework promotes the kinds of problem-solving skills that educators are drawn to. Um, it's a model to like step-by-step students through the information literacy and, and the important vetting and decision-making that needs to happen when they're doing that, that inquiry-based work. The first two components of the big six are are task definition, source selection, and then they move beyond that from to uh, source location and and extraction. And I I talk to my students about this extraction in terms of mining. I call it mining. I tell them it's somewhere between skimming and reading. Um, 
because when you skim and you find something of interest, then you have to do a little bit of a, a close dig around that item that caught your attention and, and dig a little bit deeper below that surface. So um, then that the big six framework takes a turn towards synthesis and evaluation, something that I think connects really well to that litmus test from Tom Marsh, um, seeking something new, understandings that aren't copy and pasteable. Um, so the big six is a great tool to get students acclimated, um, you know, really teaching them the sort of things that many of us, especially in secondary settings, assume they can already do. Um, but I'm really drawn to the other uh, framework I mentioned, the Buck Institute's gold standard framework, which has seven key points. Um, seven's better than six, right? So uh, the gold standard um, is less, I think of, I think of it as less of a progression uh, to walk students through and more of a checklist uh, as you're reflecting on the kinds of opportunities you're providing for your students. Um, some of the items on that checklist or, or the items on that checklist, they talk about, are we providing challenging problems and questions? Are students engaging in a sustainable way? Is the problem connected to the real life now? And, and we're talking about real life now, not 10 years from now, but like really the life that they're living currently. And then the checklist moves from those kinds of foundational considerations to a more process-based checklist. Are there opportunities for voice and choice, both in terms of what and how the students will create? Um, are there opportunities for reflection, processing the obstacles to progress? Um, is there opportunities for critique and revision? And then to close, there's a final point in the gold, uh, gold standard framework related to authenticity. And, you know, does the inquiry create a product that can be shared publicly? And I really like this uh, gold standard framework from Buck, mostly because it fits really neatly into a framework that I've already been working a lot with. Um, a year or so ago, I found Katie Martin's 10 uh, learner-centered characteristics or the, the 10 characteristics of a learner-centered classroom, uh, which also kind of reads like a checklist and I've used as kind of a checklist in my class doing the web inquiry projects we've been doing and really just creating that inquiry-based class. But you know, her 10 points... Uh, talk about some of the same kinds of things that the gold standard framework does from Buck Institute. Um, Katie Martin um, encourage us, encourages us to think about is the, is the classroom personal? Did the learners have agency? Is it inquiry-based and are there opportunities to collaborate? Uh, is there a productive str struggle and are the problems authentic? Are there models to follow? Is there a strong feedback loop? Uh, is there accountability and are students engaged uh, and our students encouraged to uh, reflect on the processes and products. But again, as great as Katie Martin and the, the gold standard are, I think I want to circle back around to the big six and, and say that it really has a place at the beginning of every semester in my classroom moving forward to teach the expectations of information literacy and making certain that the students are capable of driving their own educational experiences. Um, and that they really connect um, to some of those you know, people talk about 21st century skills, uh, soft skills and things like that. Um, Tara Kingsley and Susan Tancock uh, cited um, in the journal article the four fundamental student competencies where students are able to generate high quality inquiry topics, uh, effectively and efficiently search for information, critically evaluate uh, the sources of information and connect ideas across multiple sources. These are the kinds of things our students need to be able to do. And I think the big six framework really helps build those abilities. So all along this sort of wandering road, I wanted to sort of 
um, conclude by thinking about what kind of project would I want to set for this creative uh, for this coming year? A creative project, um, a problem-based project, or at least a project-based uh, project for my students, or a web quest. Um, I'm in secondary social studies. Um, with most of my responsibilities being in an economics classroom in the last couple of years, I've tried recently to do some projects around economic policies, debating the different sides of that, um, behavioral economics, uh, small business situations and simulations. But I think a good web quest for the coming year would be something connected to our standards related to personal finance. Um, as Rose Mara and her co-authors noted in a 2014 journal article on the theoretical foundations of PBL, I've got to get to the space where students feel the need or the desire to know. And through a constructivist lens, teachers and students can work together to create understandings, I think, of what personal finance knowledge is absolutely essential and can see that a lot of diverse perspectives can really emerge from that kind of process. So uh, bring this all kind of full circle back to WebQuest guru Bernie Dodge. Uh, on his WebQuest website, there's a great page called Taskonomy. And it highlights the different kinds of tasks that a teacher can start a web quest with uh, or from. And I think uh, my personal finance web quest would go for a sort of compilation kind of vibe um, where students gather from different sources, make choices and edit themselves and ultimately declare an essential set of personal finance tenets. The, the sort of thing that would be worthy of passing on to a peer or a sibling or maybe even an adult in their life. So... That's all I've got for you today. I hope you've gotten some, some valuable perspectives here in this episode, and I hope you'll let me know if you have any feedback or ideas on my vision for a personal finance web quest uh, that can make it something special for my students. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.